Hey guys, welcome to TGS. Today we've got Dr. Al Gabriel on. Dr. Al is an advocate for diversity in field sports as well as running for Basque Council. Definitely a very interesting man. We discussed some really awesome stuff off camera as well that perhaps we will touch again on together in the future. But for now, enjoy. Dr. Al, hello, how are you? I'm all right, yourself? Yeah, very good. Uh, please introduce yourself to everybody. All right, uh, my name's Al Gabriel. I'm. Uh... A molecular biologist. I work in childhood cancer, a particular disease called neuroblastoma. It's the one that killed uh, Bradley Lowry. You must have heard it on the news. Um, this is a, it's a rare uh, a cancer, but it's, it's a lethal one. So uh, that's what that's my primary day job. So a lot of people think I'm a deer stalker, full time keeper, uh, but I'm a cancer scientist primarily, and, and I'm a recreational stalker. That's pretty cool. So a bit Doctor House esque. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I have here that you have a PhD in genetics as well. That's correct, yeah. Or is that? And no, I, I, I actually started up as, a, as an ecologist. So I, I used to study uh, insects and insect biology. Uh, so I've always been into biology and I, my primary interest in is what they call genomics and evolution. So it's just how life works and evolves and that sort of thing. So but because of my genetics background and I career-wise, I moved into the human sector. So I mostly work on uh, human disease, if that makes sense. But we're all linked, you see, whether um, you're a deer. That is a big jump, but I guess it's not a big jump. <laughs> no, it's see, the, the underlying rules are the same. It's biology and whether you're, it can be applied in many ways. But you can see, you know, what you study in animals, plants has application in childhood cancer, you know. That's the beauty of life. On a personal note, you hunt, shoot, fish. What would you do on your, in your spare time when you're not saving kids' lives? Uh, that's pretty much what I do. So primarily, I'm, I'm a deer stalker. Uh, I do a bit of fishing in Norway once or twice a year, or if people invite me over Scotland. Um, uh, other than that, I, I am a, I'm a I'm, I'm a deer manager. I manage roe deer in Northumberland uh, on private estates, and that's the only species we have up here. Uh, so I wouldn't say I'm a, I'm a deer stalker. I, I'm a roe stalker. That's the only thing I stalk. That's the only thing I know about. Yeah. Yeah. Which is that's pretty much. Yeah. That's good. You get out quite often. I do see. Uh, I'm, I'm lucky enough to have a very large ground, and uh, my nearest hunting ground is just ten minutes away. So, uh, on average, I go out about five times a week because I can go out in the morning, do a bit of stalking, still go to work, come back, and I can still go in the evening. So, and I don't have kids, so I can do this all day, uh, and I have a large ground to cover. So, I'm pretty much till in the summer. I'm out five, six times a week, uh, on average. Living the dream, mate. That is living the dream. Uh, yeah, it is borderlining a full-time stalker, but it's only because the ground is very close to where I live, where I work. I can drive in and out, particularly in summer days, you know, 18, 19 hour days. Uh, I can still manage a full job and still do it twice a day. Uh, my dogs enjoy it, so it's a good exercise. I don't go to the gym, so that's my gym. <laughs> uh, how long have you been stalking for? Uh, so in the UK, I mean, I, you know, I used to be, also I did my PhD and I was with Territorial Army. So the, the, the current kind of stalking, I've been doing it for about six years now, just five, six years. Uh, tell me about the TA. Uh, well, I started when I was at uni. So uh, I joined uh, the London Officers Corps um, and then I moved on to, I used to do my PhD in Kent. So I joined the uh, third battalion, PWRR, which is an infantry battalion. I joined them as a soldier. Uh, mostly we competed for nationally of course and that sort of thing so i spend a lot of time at herbright ranges and busily and that sort of thing on skills at arms type of thing so you're fair so that was about safe to assume you're a fair hand it's safe to assume 
Uh, yeah, I'm a rifleman. I'm a, I'm a rifleman primarily. I feel I feel at home with a rifle than a shotgun. Uh, I do both. I do I do driven game as well. Uh, but I'm I'm a rifleman primarily. So I've got a, a rather large list of questions for you. And the first one we kind of touched on: What is your interest in conservation? What what sort of turns you on in that sector? Uh, for me, it's, it's it's a lifelong dream. So like I said, you know, I I. I going to biology when I was four, I used to collect insects, trying to rename them, restructure them and that sort of thing. I had a very good biology teacher. Um, and I'm Ethiopian by birth. I was born in East Africa. I was raised there. So I spent a lot of time out on the plains. Uh, so I had a very unusual childhood that way. So I pretty much spent my entire childhood outdoors. Uh, so that just comes naturally in that sense. Um, and I used to make, you know, balls and arrows, slingshots. So I was really into being outside, uh, that, that was my thing to my grandmother's despair. She did not like me shooting things and hunting things, but that's what I did. Um, so that's, that's, for me, it's, uh, I think it's a way of life. Uh, it's no different to religion, really. Um, that's how I see it. I mean, that's, that, the conservation element is, uh, you know, people always forget, particularly with the, the modern type of shooting, that, you know, even Basque, you know, the, the S stand, the C stands for conservation, you know, it's, it's, the, it's the underlying factor of what we do, you know, shooting is conservation, hunting is conservation. Um, and it's, it's a way of promoting way of life and, and preserving what's for the next generation, really. Can be conservation, I think is the thing. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Well, there is certain breaches of that that I think may need to be addressed, but we won't yeah. talk about that now, it's a bit too deep and political. <laughs> What particular conservation things are at the forefront of your mind, of your preference of research? Uh, so for me, I mean, I, I also sit, I, I sit on uh, the, the Northeast England branch of the British Deer Society. So my conservation is deer, and particularly the management of deer is my immediate interest and in, uh, thing I take part in actively. Mm. Um, so, you know, at the moment, uh, as you know, we have, we have too many deer in the country, over two million. And the numbers are rising in terms of rock traffic collisions, uh, just land disputes in terms of land management and land use. And uh, that's pretty much what I take interest in. Do you have a magic silver bullet for curing the amount of deer in the UK? In terms of uh, well, there, there is no magic bullet, but there, there is a, it's a, you know, it's a multi-pronged approach. I mean, we need to communicate more. We need to make our plans more effective, just like deer management groups do in Scotland, that we just need to be a bit more organized uh, some areas are over managed some uh, some of them are under managed so just finding the balance I, I recently had an opportunity to go on a uh, fallow stalking down south and uh, some of the things I've heard in terms of you know some areas are well managed and if you just happen to have a neighbor that isn't managing them there then you create an inland habitat where your work is of no use because they just know where to go that sort of thing we don't have that with road here of course but it was it was an eye-opener in terms of how uh, we need to communicate and we need to talk to each other to really manage them at a, at a yeah. global level, if that makes sense. It's a very big deal with fallow deer down, down here, certainly, more than anything. Yeah. Um, as you say, they can, you can do everything you can, but unless you work as a team, as a group, yeah. there should be like a government um, mandate for landowners to control deer. I think there needs to be some level of uh, management as in an organized orchestrated management so uh, at the moment different people are doing their own thing and that's not really helping because the numbers are going up and continually on an upward trajectory and this can't be sustained without severe damage to the environment people must realize that uh, and secondly uh, you know people are fond of deer usually 
shooting them is not a very popular approach. Uh, there are other methods that people have suggested, including a genetic one, but I think ultimately we do need to shoot a whole lot more of deer if we're going to get on top of this, particularly with the lockdown now where recreational stalkers are stuck at home. Is that like um, a daughterless deer genetic change or something? <laughs> absolutely. There are ways, but it's not effective. There's no means of doing that. I think we need to shoot a lot of deer. Uh, and it's part of management. Uh, people have to accept we are producing food, we are protecting uh, human life from disease, uh, road accidents, and so forth. It is, it, it is generation of food and management at the same time. Mm, I think we should release wolves. I don't actually. Sorry. <laughs> Next up, you have a lot of very powerful statements in your Basque letter that I would implore everyone to read because it's um, inspiring more than anything. Oh, thank you. <laughs> How to better inform the council? You said the council wasn't well informed enough of the public's opinion. I would be tempted to agree with you quite heartfeltly. How does Basque Council become better informed? Well, I mean, at, at the moment, um, in my view, and I have a lot of good friends at Bus, I'm, I hope they're not going to take this to heart. But if you speak to um, the average shooter, just the person you run into on a pigeon day, present day idea stalking the only game place you go to you know there is a big um, miscommunication between the association and its members there is this recent feeling that they're not being told enough they're not involved enough and that uh, the council doesn't seem to understand what they want or what they would like to see Basque achieve so council is informed I mean the reality is you know Basque involves you know I know them because I speak to a lot of them you know a lot of resources are put into place to monitoring misinformation and so forth. They do the job. It's just um, the, the couple of snacks that we've had in terms of the recently cartridge gate, as I like to call it, and, uh, you know, with the same with the general licenses. Not that's Buck's fault. I mean, it's not, it's not a fault of Buck at all. But uh, we just felt like we were slightly ambushed or slightly not well prepared or we should have seen this coming kind of feeling. Um, uh, to some level, not unwarranted uh, because, you know, we are, they are sort of aware of it. It's just it just seems to be, to me personally, from the outside, and I have no link to Basque but from knowing a few of them, um, uh, there seems to be um, something missing in between, as in they need to know what the membership want. Everyone I speak to says, oh, Basque, they're not what they used to be. I'm not happy about this. I'm not happy about that. I just, I'm not hearing a lot of positives from the members. So that tells me that something needs to be communicated to, go on. Said rarely anything positive at all, in fact. Exactly, and that has to be communicated to the council and the executive, and they need to, at the very least, acknowledge that. So even if the membership is not getting the right information, uh, which, it, which is actually the case, because BAS actually do a lot of work that just doesn't get communicated back to the members, so there is disconnect. So why, what I mean by better inform the council is that yeah, people have to realise the council is composed of individuals who have full-time jobs, you know, uh, just like anybody else. They're not paid members, you know, they are volunteers essentially that's what a council is but they are because they come from different parts of the country they work in different areas um, you can't expect them to be fully aware of what's happening on a daily basis you know that's the job of the executive not the council uh, but the council obviously drives where the executive goes in three to five years time that sort of thing it's a long-term planning core of the association so what I mean by that is uh, if you read the little statement that I put in I, I would like to create a new unit uh, it doesn't oh, have to be a good name as well, didn't you? A yeah, well, branch. say again? Special branch. Yeah, the special anti-service, as I like, I would like to call it. They're never going to call it that, but that would be a good name. You know, the BSAS, you know, I, I, we just need 
a new organized, this could be existing member of staff, existing resources, it's the stuff they already do. There's nothing new about that. We just need to collect them into a special unit where they get special resources and new ways of doing things, just so that the membership is reassured we have a team on this uh, in real time. And these are not volunteers, this will be employed staff or restructured from the existing employment. Um, there's a lot they do, it just doesn't seem from the outset that it is organized enough to satisfy the membership. The membership just needs to know we have a unit that monitors misinformation, you know, challenges from wild justice and so forth. It just feels the department are there, the right people are there with the right skill set. It just doesn't feel to me personally, um, it should be the spearhead of the association at the moment. We need that to be the primary thing. That's what concerns a lot of membership. Are we going to save shooting? next five years 10 years 15 years uh, and that to me is critical so you know bus does a lot of amazing stuff with young guns you know um, uh, the businesses uh, you know westminster and that sort of thing they achieve a huge amount of work which doesn't get translated back you know they do publish on the magazines and so forth a lot goes out it just doesn't seem to be enough or it's not communicated at the right level at the right time for the membership to feel satisfied and be in support of bus which is what we want ultimately we want the membership to be in support of the council and the executive. There's no point the executive and the council doing great. Exactly. If they do a great job, but they don't inform the membership, or the membership doesn't feel they're doing a great job, then you know a lot of effort has been wasted. So my view is that they let them continue the work they do. Let's just restructure it a bit so that we actually have a unit with a name whose entire job would be monitoring misinformation, monitoring on wild justice, and updating these council members while full-time employees elsewhere and the executive, we're just restructuring it for intelligence, if that makes sense. It's just intelligence gathering and preparation in advance so that real information has been designed, which it already is. It just doesn't have a name and it just doesn't feel like a body, if that makes sense. So that leads me on to two other of my questions. The first is you mentioned the old proactive versus reactive, which is something that most people will complain about Basque. For. Yeah. The fact that they seem to just be saying, oh, they, they've done that, let's put that fire out. Someone else has done that, let's put that fire out. That actually leading the way. Uh, and that kind of links to my second question, because it's probably easy for you to answer it in one, is how do we combat the misinformation that starts all of these other issues in the first place? So what does BASC do to combat misinformation? And then how does it be proactive in its um, combating of misinformation? Yes, there you go. So, I mean, the, the biggest, um, you know, a lot of, you know, nonsense information is put out online. It's very easy to come up with misleading information as long as it suits, you know, anybody else's, you know, objective, which is fine. So the misinformation is how do we monitor social media? How do we monitor the papers? How do we monitor all these forums and so forth? And uh, I don't know the exact job title, but I'm sure there is the person at BASC whose job would be to monitor such things and update the executive and the council at some point. Um, it, it's a matter of time, it's how quickly do we recognize it. Secondly, how do we identify it? How do we respond to it? So some of the responses that you get from Basque at times feels very conveyor belt type response, you know, this uh, statements after something has happened. Um, it always seems reactive and that's what people feel. now. Primarily, it's because most things are outside of Basque. You know, these are national governmental type of things. You know, Basque cannot be held accountable for every single thing that gets put out there. It's not, that's not what I'm saying. 
what I'm saying is, um, how do we respond to it in a way that's not just to highlight where the issue is. I mean, so once you get a, an incorrect print on a, obviously Basque always says, you know, regarding that published article on the Telegraph, so-and-so, we, you know, they'll put their statements out, which is fine. That's how the order of, that's how it should happen anyway. Uh, but my point would be, uh, we need to have a global view in terms of how often are this, means, this type of misinformation coming out, who's pumping it out, how are they pumping it out, and how to best deal with that, not just article by article, but rather identifying the actual source. Who are these people? I know we call them antis. There are a few figureheads that we know of, but uh, I mean, do we know how organized this is? So it's a matter of uh, the barrage of misinformation is to be identified from the source, not be dealt with one article at a time, if that makes sense. I would agree. The, the SAS will sort it out. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Next statement I would like to, if you would expand on for me, is you would like to form closer ties with other conservation groups. Yeah. What ones? And uh, well, so basically, uh, if, uh, I had a conversation recently on Instagram from, uh, I forgot his name, but he lives in Denmark apparently. But um, we have too many associations, I don't know if you noticed, but for a small island, for, for a tiny island, we do have a lot of conservation groups, uh, you know, numerous you know a couple of dozen you know a dozen popular ones um so my view would be firstly we need to work together in the short term because for instance when the lead shots you know news broke through obviously it was supposed to be a, a consortia decision of these associations together which uh which you know it felt it felt that way at the beginning and then the whole cartridge thing exploded and maybe not uh, my view would be at the moment, if you look at, I don't know, the Moorland Association or Countries Alliance, NGOs, you know, they all do amazing work. Uh, you know, there's, there's nothing to be said about that. But my view would be, which struck me recently, is that do we really need the number of associations that we have? Wouldn't it be better in the short term to work together? But actually, ultimately, shouldn't we be unified? I mean, it should be a unification process where we should all be under a single umbrella. So my view would be, uh, Nothing has to change from what they do. You, you know, the, the Moreland Association can still be the Moreland Association. The BDS can still be the BDS. But do they all need independent CEOs, secretaries, executives? They're all doing the same thing multiple times. It is wasting time and resources. They are team for membership. Somebody abandons Basque, goes to NGO. Lives NGO, goes to countries. You know, uh, we're not really, the denominator is not changing. There's X amount of, you know, shooters, conservationists outside. Wouldn't it be better if we reorganized and restructured ourselves, not in the short term, but let's start working better first, but with the aim of actually collaborating to a single, uh, maybe have to be rebranded, I don't know. But I would feel better if actually all members of NGO, Country Alliance, they all went to a single association that manages us all. Then we only need one chief executive, one secretary, and one managing unit. And I think given how small we are, uh, we are wasting a lot of money by you know, join this small association, which do excellent work. It's just we need uh, we need numbers, and uh, and and a place like Denmark has about hunting has about a ninety five percent approval rate. You know, we don't have any anything like that in the UK. So I think my view would be we need to work together simply because we are uh, we need to sing from the same song sheet and address the same issues in a concerted fashion. So we're not wasting our limited resources. And secondly, we should really be aiming towards unification. Unification that we should be under a single umbrella 
that would protect us better. And in fact, I was reading the Basque Constitution recently. One of the roles and objectives of Basque actually is unification. There's the word unification. And that you should go and read it. It makes a fascinating read, actually. But one of the jobs of Basque is actually by, uh, the Constitution actually is to unify those who are involved in conservation and sportsmanship. So it's actually within our, you know, within, within Basque, uh, you know, it's one of the duties actually is to unify and absorb anybody who's really working towards conservation and shooting. That's my view at least. I'm too passionate about it, but that would be my standing point. Let's start working short term, but with a long term view of actually becoming a single umbrella. Yeah. I could lend my support to that based only on the almost complete changing of the Basque executive and still maintaining devolved powers to those who join Basque. Having communicated and worked with other organizations up to and including Basque, smaller organizations are a pleasure to work with by comparison. Speaking to a smaller organization, it goes up and down the ladder and tree are significant, significantly quicker than going up the ladder and down again than with Bass because you have so many flaws and so many people and so many powers of veto that I yeah. feel like the big ship doesn't work because they don't devolve enough powers into their regional offices and I think that would be much the same. This isn't about me, so I'm going to stop talking. Um, <laughs> <laughs> a membership that resembles modern Britain. Yeah. What does modern Britain look like? And what does that membership in your head look like? There you go. Uh, not the current bus council, definitely not. It does not look like that. Uh, I can assure you that. Uh, I mean, uh, you know, I've, I've said this piece on uh, Shooting Times and uh, in the bus magazine a while back. Uh, my, my viewpoint is that, you know, shooting has an image problem and people need to recognize that. It has a significant image problem. Um, and, and the second bit is that people do not understand shooting because it's no longer part of their lives. The majority of the UK population lives in cities, devoid of wildlife and nature, and friends who do any outdoorsy stuff. So unless you're one of the lucky few who's managed to go out to the grass more, or the, you know, out on the plains, then how, how would you, your feelings towards it is biased because you'd just be a, an urban type of person, your views would be just these posh people out there in tweeds, uh, blasting things away it, it, it just interpretation is important image is important at the moment uh, you look at the uk population uh, you know i was lucky enough i i organized a meeting at basque about two years ago i went down there because i wasn't happy by the fact that there weren't enough ethnic minorities in shooting and field sports and more importantly not enough of them were being represented in publications magazines outputs just any social media we we're almost completely a forgotten group uh, we do shoot we do hunt we do fish not a lot of numbers but there are just have to scout through social media to know there are enough of us out there to get some representation but that wasn't the case so they were very kind enough to host me and have a chat with me in terms of the things they can change and so forth so i've, I've given them some of my points and they've taken it on board so i you know I, I kudos on that one have you seen any change from that meeting yeah i've seen smaller changes so one of the things that i've been trying to get up and going is to monitor uh our membership at the moment nobody actually knows the level of ethnic minorities as past members that number does not exist uh, so one of the things i've suggested is to when people join or renew to have a, a self-certification form where you can say you know would you like to tell us if you're a male female ethnic minority so forth you know just so we know the proportion of who's disabled you know just so we know who's who makes up past membership you see what i mean i think it's a fundamental data point that we should know who our membership is because at the moment nobody knows um i don't expect the number to be great but I'm a member of Basque, so I assume somebody down south is a member of Basque. 
or somewhere in the Midlands, you know. Uh, so it's just a matter of knowing where we are, because without knowing how many ethnic minorities are part of Basque or any field sports, then we really cannot tackle the problem. We can't have a mission to resolve it. Or so my point of view, or women or kids or anybody really, we, ju we just can't put a graph to say. Uh, so that's something that's been worked on, as far as I know. Last email I sent that was being decided upon, so that'll be coming soon, I hope. Uh, but they have taken it on board, so I'm quite pleased with that. But these things take time, except that. So modern Britain is now composed of, uh, you know, your native Brit, um, Africans, Asians, Caribbeans, and everything in between. You know, uh, but we make about 15% of the country is now, you know, ethnic minorities. You know, and numbers are growing up. We have migration and so forth. So you know, 15% is a decent portion of population. Uh, so by the same caveat, you would expect, I don't know, five to ten percent of the council to resemble part of the what the country looks like. Um, you look at the council; it's primarily uh, male-dominated. As the sport is, uh, there's been significant improvement recently. We have a few ladies in it, young ladies as well. Um, but as far as I know, there are no uh, minorities uh, that are within the council or or the executive, as far as I know. But like I say, we just need to, it's not about tokenism, it's just a matter of recognizing what modern Britain looks like and who our shooters are, who our conservationists are, and we just need to better represent them. It's a simple example as, I can't remember the last time I picked up a hunting, shooting magazine and saw an ethnic minority as, a, I don't know, a face of, I don't know, Seiko, face of, take a pick, anything, any shotgun, you know, it just considered something that you would never get away with it. If this was music industry, football, what have you, or any other industry, the police have to deal with this at some point, you know, they have to redress this institutional racism as it were. But shooting does not have that, let me be clear, shooting does not have that. Everyone I've met has been kind, nice and very friendly and I've had, I've had no single experience as a result of my colour, none. I can say that on record. So what I'm trying to say is we just need to move forward with the publications and the adverts and all the stuff that goes out that in some cases you do find ethnic minorities that take part in competitions and so forth. So let's just balance what we see and not just cater to a particular type of image, which is at the moment, uh, the shooting image is quite different to what the country looks like. Uh, obviously I'm more, I focus on it because of what I am and who I am, uh, but there is a slight change in the country, a slight change of shooters and people, you've got the clear range on a Saturday, you know, it wasn't the case 13 years ago, I don't remember seeing, but now I see once in a while, I see an ethnic minority on a shotgun range, you know, it happens once in a while. So there is movement and it just needs to be recognized and to be catered for just like, you know, any other business really, any other institution. Moving on from the subject, it's fascinating by the way, how, actually before we move on from that, how would you look to appeal to more ethnic minorities and ladies? How did one go about promoting that as a Basque Council member? How would you go about promoting that? The true, it's a tough one to crack. So I, I, I've been trying it. Uh, so uh, ladies, I find a lot easier because I, I live uh, uh, up in Newcastle. Um, you know, there, there isn't a large ethnic minority. Like, like I always tell people, I don't go on knocking on doors trying to get them recruited, you know. Um, so it depends where you are. I think the southern part of the country has, uh, you know, more ethnic minorities than up here. Uh, the first thing to say would be, like I've suggested to them, you do need ambassadors. You do need ambassadors to be, uh, the face of that objective, you know, uh, if you're trying to encourage women, you need women as ambassadors, who can, ambassadors who can go and uh, show the sport off and recruit and educate. Same applies for ethnic minorities. You need ambassadors. You know, when you have, when you want to promote, you know, game, you know, you get a chef, you know, you have a chef ambassador who's going to 
make amazing meals and show us how versatile it is. It's the same principle as any minorities, really. You need ambassadors, uh, and that's why the image needs to change. You know, having a, a minority on the council shows progress, shows that we are making an active effort to be inclusive. Uh, you know, having people on publication, social media, you know, uh, that helps that, that other people will see it and say, oh, hang on, if she can do it, I can. If she can't do it, I can. And that's the sort of uh, approach that we need. We need ambassadors, we need people that are relatable, that can go out there and recruit on our behalf. And that's what I've been doing, essentially. Let's talk about you for a bit more, actually, before we move on to anything else. What are your top three hunting experiences? There you go. That's always a good one. Oof. Uh, good point. Uh, the first one would be Aaron. So I, I, had, I had a red like Isle of Aaron last year on a bus scheme, as it happened. Uh, beautiful, beautiful. It was, it was an amazing, uh, we've been tracking for about five days. It's a five day trip, and I managed to take it down on day five, about three hours before end of hunt, which is quite. And I've got on video with the roaring and everything. It was. It was amazing. It was just uh, there was a rainbow out that morning. Uh, it, you know, the sun was shining. It was just beautiful. The beautiful scenery, um, and and I and I shot it with a 270, uh, with the with a round eye reloaded, especially for the occasion. So I'm quite pleased with that. So that's the take off message. That's that's the best one for me. And the other two, I had uh, I recently had uh, uh, Chinese water deer and a munjak down in, down in Sussex. That was a really good morning. Two species, same day. Um, and last one would be be my first Roebuck. Decent buck was it, or just a, just a memorable occasion? And obviously, it's ahead, but it was a memorable occasion because it's just unexpected. Yeah. Yes. And what rifles do you shoot? Do you know what I'm asking? I'm very traditional in the way that I, I rarely change shotguns or rifles. So I, I get what I like first. I do my research and I get it. And I never change. So I I shoot a 270 Seiko A7. Um, that's the only thing I shoot on everything. I pretty much can empty my entire box and I would not need anything else. Uh, I'm a massive, massive Seiko fan. Uh, and my next question is this, is you state that the protection of our sport depends on each of us. Can you expand on that, please? Uh, well, uh, something I came across recently is, um, uh, you know, whenever you run into one of those bird days, um, people do expect a lot from basket times, um, sometimes unwarranted level of expectation because people, you know, they have to understand that there's only 155k members and about 200 members of staff, give or take. You know, it is a small association by grand scheme of things, you know, it's not a big one. So there's a limitation on how much you can achieve, you know. Oh, I've lost my train of thought now. It's been too creative there. <laughs> uh, I was going to say, but it does lead me on to a, a question before we come back to this one. That is, do you think Basque could do more? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. So a large um, surplus of cash every year that they just put in the bank, which I don't really understand. No, they, I mean, they do a lot more. You know, I, you know, I engage more, more primarily with Bath North, you know, and we have a very good relationship here in terms of, uh, you know, supporting young guns and that sort of thing, charities. Uh, you know, we, I'm far more engaged with the, the Bath North other than the HQ. Uh, but, you know, they, they can do a lot more and they do a significant amount more. Just and I must come back to this, but not a lot of it gets translated back into the membership. I mean, a lot happens on the ground. I mean, the regional officers, uh, you know, they do a whole lot more. I mean, you wouldn't believe the amount of charities, conservation work, bird boxes, you know, it's full I'm on. Aware. I, I'm fully aware how bad their communication is. I think that yeah. the, the point. But, people, but the membership should be satisfied. 
justified that you know on the ground the original officers and so you know they, they do slave away a lot and they, they do sacrifice a lot of the private time to get these young guns up and running these charity vaults you know it takes a lot of i know this for a fact it takes a lot of organization and they do a lot so as, a, as an organization we do a lot not communicate enough or at the right level uh, there is this disconnect or rift whatever you want to call it between the hq you know big boys kind of decision making process there and how that gets translated back and and, uh, and i think that's one of the things i really want to work on or highlight is that we really do need to update our membership at the right time at the right level uh, not just on need to know basis which sometimes it feels like um which is, shouldn't be the case i don't think and we should be able to do that so back to the original question of protection of our sport depends on each of us that's the one so uh, it recently occurred to me that uh, people do expect a lot from Basque, but when you ask somebody and i and i you know even as a person that is currently running for Basque election i will tell you this frankly when was the last time you took somebody out somebody that's never held a rifle or a shotgun before when was the last time you gave a young person or young lady an opportunity to go out in a more comfortable setting to you know have a go at deer stalking you know and most of the time people are like well i don't know uh, i haven't done it for years well, that's not good enough you know you as, as, a, as a member of basque as a shooter anybody who goes out there to do any sort of ferreting anything at all you know you are an ambassador you are the face of shooting or conservation and if you yourself as a person have not at least recruited one person into basque or you have not taken one person out shooting or pigeon shooting then you know you're not really being a very good conservationist and i think our strengths come from recruitment and education and i think people really people who are a member of basque or not they should really take this on board the future depends on how many people we introduce how many people we retain i personally take you know over 20 or 30 ladies a year out doing stalking for free i have no interest in commercial shooting i literally take them out for free so they get a chance at having a go um and, and you know anybody who wants to come and learn anything about deer i am more than happy to spend the time to take them out, help them out with the applications, explain to them how applications works, and, and so forth. You know, simple things like calibers, shot placement. I, you know, I get calls, emails. I actively spend X amount of time a week trying to engage with those comments and questions because you know every person you recruit, I've had numerous people who've got their licenses as a result of me introducing them out to the field or helping them with the application, explain to them how it works. Uh, so I feel personally, I feel I've done. Uh, you know, okay, uh, for in terms of recruitment and retention. If everybody did the same, then, you know, the number will amplify, you know, like you said, you know, in your last podcast, if we all recruited one person a year, you know, our membership <laughs> is 310,000, easy. But if people can't really take the responsibility of not even introducing one person a year, then it's really not fair to blame an organization for all the flaws that are out there. You know, this is a big question you know it's a big problem shooting is a complicated effect so we need to be responsible until you can satisfy yourself that you are recruiting enough you're introducing enough people into shooting and taking game you know i take god knows how many kilos of venison to work to give it to people who've never tested venison before just so they can say oh, it's actually not that bad or have a positive experience of what this talking involves it's not just about pulling your trigger it's actually bringing tasty meat you know so i get requests can i have you know can i get this can i get that or do you mind getting me a haunch you know i get a lot of requests and i actually call it the meat run i have a list of what people want and whenever it becomes available i provide them you know and that's the kind of thing until you can actually prove that you've done that then you yourself as a member are not really 
doing 100%. So how can you expect an organization to do the same? You know, I do feel like people are very good at being told what to do. Um, and I think Basque could do a best job of driving that. And I think what you just said is absolute perfect. Absolute perfection. But I do feel like Basque could make, not make it easier, but encourage people to do it. Tell people to do it. Absolutely. A challenge, uh, a new Basque challenge. And introduce one person. Let's do yeah. on numbers, you know. It's not easy. I there would be, um, well, wouldn't that be something if Basque... Did? You can start it. The double challenge, you know, you can start it. Get a, you know, double the membership. That, I suppose, is more or less all of my questions answered, apart from why Basque Council? Uh, it's a tough one because people have to recognise it's not a paid job, it's a voluntary job. Uh, you know, you, have, you do have about 10, 11 meetings a year, which you have to attend in person. So there's actually a lot of sacrifice for a person to undertake such a task. So people do have to recognise that it is a big responsibility. Um, but primarily, though, uh, it is the... The steering committee of BAS, so to speak, is where the policies are set for the next three, five, ten years. So you can really implement change uh, for the future. Uh, so you do your everyday work that you do with introducing people and be an ambassador for shooting. But then this is an opportunity to actually do a bit more. So my views are, firstly, uh, for me, uh, communication is key. We need to communicate with the membership. We need to get the love back as a well. There's a lot of, you know, bad blood at the moment for whatever reason. Uh, so we need, I, I would like to change the, how people see Basque. I think it needs to be a very positive outlook. Uh, we need to change. Uh, at the moment, there is an element that it's a very macho sport. Uh, not enough women. There, you know, the number of women is going up, up and up, but it's not enough still. Uh, minorities are a lost, um, kind of a forgotten kind of group. We need to bring that. It comes in different caveats, of course. You know, it's not just ethnic minorities. There are different kinds of minorities, disabled, disabled people as well. Uh, which need extra, uh, you know, help to bring them into the to the fore, you know. So we actively, for me, is to work on this forgotten groups to get them on board, uh, to promote communication, and more importantly, uh, the number of the membership matters. And my my view would be to work closely for the short term, but with the long term view that uh, we should all be under a single umbrella. That for me would be an absolute win if it's ever achieved. But it is definitely one we need to aim for. Uh, we need to be a single institution. We need we all we all doing the same thing. We don't have to change what we do. It's just a matter of cat badging, if that if that's the term. Uh, we just need to be managed and be more efficient in what we do. We do not need sixteen executives and so forth. We can do a much better job of defending shooting and field sports and conservation if we were streamlined. Uh, and I think there are European models that clearly prove that. Providing that it wasn't working like Basque does at the moment, but it worked. We have to change. A lot has to change, but this is long term. You know, it's, it's not going to happen anytime soon. But I see no reason why anybody would say, I do not want to be part of a, a bigger institution like the NRA, where there's more of us. We can lobby better. Our money would go further. I see, I, I still haven't heard a single argument as to why. I'm not saying join Basque and become a bigger Basque. I am saying become a single umbrella, which is yet to be named in the future. But I see no reason why wildfowlers can still continue to do the wildfowling. You know, the BDS can stay BDS. Everybody can stay in their roommate and do what they do beautifully. It's just a matter of structuring them and putting a cat badge and a new name so we can all be a bigger institution for the better. And I think there is a lot of personal conflict because some of the institutions are very old some some of the managing staff you know egos bad blood there's a lot out there uh, which is preventing such things taking place but for me 
as a young person, as a newcomer, I, I really do not care about that. I mean, people's egos and previous conflicts mean nothing to me whatsoever. What's important to me is that anybody who's managing these associations should be, at the very least, be positive that we should be bigger and more organized. And I see no reason why nobody wouldn't feel that. Uh, I think that's, that's the key information, I think. Finally, shooting and social media. What are your thoughts on the two going hand in hand? It's quite a contentious issue. Most older generations will say that the two things should be, we should be well hidden. Uh, yeah. Younger people may be quite the opposite, but it's not guaranteed. What are your thoughts? Uh, we, we definitely should not be hidden. I think uh, people who dislike hunting, shooting, would be very difficult to change their minds. You know, they'll always have some bias towards it. But the worst thing we can do is to shy away from what we do and why we do it. I think that would be the nail on the coffin. I think nobody should shy away from stalking, game shooting, you know, that sort of thing. Uh, we, we definitely should not back down. Uh, we should be responsible. There are images circulating online that you have to look at them and ask, how is this going to be seen from the outside world? I mean, is this really helping? So every time you press post, you know, just make sure helping shooting, promoting shooting or not. Uh, and that's the important thing. I think social media could be huge in bringing in this, you know, minorities, ladies, and just people who may not know about shooting to learn more about game shooting and deer stalking. It's a massive, massive medium. And it's, it's for the future. It's coming. It's already here. And people just accept that. There's no going back. I mean, it is a, it's, it's a lost cause. You know, trying to defend it is a lost cause. But what we should do, however, is uh, educate people on how to present pictures that are supportive. Every time you press play, just make sure it is healthy. Uh, at the moment, the biggest challenge, in my view, and I've spoken to a few others, the biggest problem is uh, the so-called social media influencer. That's that's the biggest danger in my book, uh, and and that that is uh, one we have to be careful of. Okay, can you expand expand on that a little? So my view would be. If you are a person who are professional in the, in the trade, uh, in the field, you're a full-time stalker, keeper, gamekeeper, whatever. If you are what you do, or you are well-versed, experienced, or you are aware of what you do uh, to promote whatever you promote, then by all means, go ahead. By all means. But uh, if there is an individual who has 100% just commercial interest, but at the same time pretending to be shooting or putting shooting in a bad light or things that may not be real or, you know, kind of... The question for me would be, everybody who's out on social media is not really representing our sport 100% to the letter, as in to what we are and what we do. So we just have to be careful who we're promoting as our ambassadors. Anybody out there with a shooting outdoor account and so forth really is an ambassador for shooting. So uh, if we see something that is really not a representative of shooting or the kind of work that we do the British way, uh, we should really you know, put our hands up and say, hey, that's not right. You know, we shouldn't be promoting everybody and anybody with that there who may be pumping out the wrong information. You know, shooting a bird at the wrong season, that sort of thing. Uh, we, we just need to be careful who is our ambassador online. So I'm not saying let's regulate it or curtail it in any way. Promote as much as you can, as long as it's the right thing, it's something you enjoy and it is correct. But supporting individuals that are pumping out wrong information, incorrect information, often illegal in some cases, um, uh, that cannot that cannot be a good thing for us long term. So I think the danger of social media is putting out things that would you know, trigger change in re regulation, uh, which will affect us long term. So we have to be careful about uh, what's put out there. So we just have to educate people, put the right information out, put the right picture out with the right sentiment and why we do it. 
to always have a, a reason why you kill something or what you what you manage the way you do educate people it's for pest control it's for dismanagement and so forth we just have to be more conservation minded and not too commercially minded that we forget what we do because that would affect regulation down the road you know whenever you see it's the same thing as a, i'll give you a simple example not related but you know uh, public shooting in canada all of a sudden ar-15s automatic rifles no longer allowed what i'm trying to say i'm not i don't have any opinion on the matter but what i'm trying to demonstrate is a single event can trigger regulation and we just have to be careful of who's out there you know putting out shooting information outdoors information uh who is really uh, you know, should, should they be supported as in, you know, just because somebody has, I don't know, 100,000 followers does not make them better conservationists, better hunters, better speakers of conservation. You know, we just have to be careful, nurture those who are real and are actually in it for the right reasons. That is conservation and passing on to the next generation. Uh, does that make sense? I'm too passionate about this, but that's my viewpoint. It's, right? a, it's a tough subject, isn't it? I think one needs to be aware that that 100,000 follower person, or we'll work back through your points, that 100,000 follower